So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, uh, which starts on page 1507, a few Bibles. <clears throat> be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Over these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at um, three do not passages, right? Sounds a bit negative, but uh, this week we're looking at do not be a hypocrite. Next week we'll look at do not be anxious. And then the third week we'll look at do not be judge. They're passages that all come out of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus takes his, his disciples, his close ones to one side to instruct them about what it means to live uh, the Christian life. It'd be really helpful, actually, if you can be reading through uh, this section, Matthew 5 through to the end of chapter 7 and thinking through how these passages fit. Uh, even the first five chapters of, uh, the first four chapters of Matthew as well would be very useful. When you get to the end of uh, Matthew chapter 7, so the end of this sort of teaching time that Jesus has with these close followers, he says these really, I think, chilling words, right, from Matthew 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I actually wonder if at this point you could add a whole stack of other things. You know, didn't we pray in church publicly? Didn't we teach Sunday school? Didn't we, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we? You could add a stack of stuff in there, I think, in that context. And then in your name, 
uh, you know, do these things, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, how can this be? Doers of good and yet evil doers. Doers of good, that's clearly what Jesus is saying, but regarded as evil doers. When we come to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, Jesus heights, highlights one thing that will cause God to come to this conclusion. Okay, in verses 18, it's hypocrisy. He lifts the veil on when we're being two-faced, uh, when we're pretending to be one thing and yet being another. And in Australia, I, I don't think there's any greater insult than to call, you know, call somebody a hypocrite. I think it's one of the most powerful insults in our context. The problem's introduced when you go to verse 1 of chapter 6. It'd be great to have the Bibles open in front of you if you're able to do that. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, listen carefully. The problem is not with righteousness. That's clearly not not the issue uh, because the disciples, if we read through chapter 5, you'll know they've already been told to live righteous lives. So righteousness isn't the problem. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says to them, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Uh, And the rest of chapter 5 just illustrates what that righteousness looks like. So Jesus is saying, yes, do acts of righteousness. You ought to do it. Do good things to please God, honour him. And then you have this warning in chapter 6, verse 1. But don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by others. Makes sense. Except for the fact when you go back to chapter 5, verse 16, we're told, let your light shine before others. Okay. So your righteousness should be visible, like a city on a hill or a light to the world, right? clearly demonstrated, and yet it's meant to be invisible. Right? You've got that? Understand? See, how do you put those two things together? But can I say, isn't this the tension you feel if you're a follower of Jesus? Uh, The tension of wanting to live with integrity before others and yet finding yourself concerned about what they think of you and how they regard you. Isn't that just the common tension that we all feel as we work through life? And who here has not found themselves at different points even in Christian contexts, playing for the approval of the crowd, you know, playing for the, uh, uh, the applause of others around you. What Jesus does, he, ex- he explores how to do your acts of righteousness with the right motivation, with the right heart. That's what we're looking at here. So what he does, first of all, he lifts the the lid on doing righteous acts to impress others. He comes up with several examples as you work through here, like uh, giving to the poor. Verse 2, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Right? You know, we're taking up a collection later on in the gathering and the bags come past or whatever, and you want a drum roll, you know, as you plop your money in. Right? Now, 
none of us are crass enough to do that, right? We've all been, you know, socially conditioned, not to be quite that demonstrative, right? Uh, so we, we have direct debits, right? Uh, and when you put your direct debit in, it's always helpful for the church to know who it was that gave the money. So you attach your name to it. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, it's always easy to work out ways in which you want others to know exactly what's going on. Or prayer, verse 3. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing on the street corners to be seen by others. Notice here the problem is that prayer becomes all about the impact that you're having on the people around you rather than focus being on the Father that you're praying to in heaven. That's the problem. Or fasting, verse 16. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. And you can think of a stack of things, right? Like, I'm the most risk-prone person in this room this morning, right? Here I am, some of you I don't know, and here I am preaching. I'm wondering what you think about my preaching, okay? You know, like, isn't that the risk for anyone as you get involved in this? And it can be any sort of activity around church. Do you make the best cappuccinos on the coffee? Yeah, like, you can, you know, you can think about any sort of thing where you can become more preoccupied uh, with the people around you and what they think of you rather than what God thinks. It's not that they're not good activities, but when you do them, in order to get the approval of others, this is God's judgment on them. Right? Look again at the passage with me. Right, verse 2. They have received their reward in full. Or verse 5. They have received their reward in full. Verse 16. They have received their reward in full. If you crave the approval of your peers uh, or a congregation or your pastor, then once you've got it, that's it. That's all you're getting. <laughs> you've, you've got exactly what you wanted to achieve. You've got your goal. I've got a friend who um, uh, is a pastor who works in a, another state. And at one stage, he was a, what's called a canon of the cathedral. Right, it's an honorary role they give to people who've been hanging around for a fair while. And uh, you get, you're sort of on a leadership group and you think about the nature of what happens in that cathedral. Our cathedrals, because of their age, tend to be always prone to needing repairs and raising money. So this big, this cathedral has enormous, you know, millions and millions of dollars campaign to raise funding. And he was on the group supervising what was happening here. And the suggestion came up that what they do is they'd establish an honour roll. Uh, of donors that they put in the foyer of this cathedral. You know, the platinum givers, the gold givers, the silver givers, the bronze givers. And uh, my friend said, look, I, I'm comfortable for us to uh, have that board in the foyer provided we put Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 at the bottom of it. Right? They have received their reward in full. Right? And you get the point. Right? That's, that's the problem. Given that's the issue, how do you guard against hypocrisy? See, what do you do about it? And what Jesus does is he, he helpfully says, he, there's one thing you ought to remember and there's one thing you ought to do. Right? Remember one thing, do one thing. The thing you remember is that your father sees. Okay, Verse 4, 
your father sees. Verse 6, your father who sees. Verse 18, your father who sees. His criticism of the Pharisees is that they're looking for the approval of the people that they can see rather than seeking the approval of the one they can't see but who sees them. That's where he's going with this. And isn't that the challenge? When you think about it, from the, the earliest stages of our life, we adjust our behaviours in order to please the people around us. You know, we uh, learn how to socialise with our peers. Uh, we learn how to behave in ways that our parents approve of. That's the constant thing. And let me say, actually, most of that's not wrong, is it? Like, I actually think when I was raising my kids, I wanted them to please me, you know. I think that's okay. (laughs) And if you're a parent, probably it's not a thing to, you sort of say, stop trying to please. Like, you don't do that, do you? You know, like, it's a normal sort of behaviour. It just is. Same with the boss, right? Is it wrong to want to please your boss? You know, I don't think, yeah, I don't give a stuff what my boss thinks. I'm not sure that's Christian, you know. It's So, what are we talking about at this point? Remember, when it comes to righteousness, living with integrity in this world before God, living for the honour of his name, if you prostitute it by doing it to impress others, Jesus is saying it is destructive now and for all eternity. That's what he is saying. Remember your father sees and live for his approval. One thing you remember and one thing you do. Verse 4. And this goes to to the motive. Give your arms in secret. Or verse 6. Pray to your father in secret. Or verse 18. Pray. Sorry, pray in secret. Verse 18. Fast in secret. Now what we're being told here is to keep it between you and God. That makes sense, doesn't it? Except it's not particularly straightforward. Just think it through with me. Uh, Verse 3, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to giving money. How do I do that? How do I keep what I give a secret for myself? How do I make sure that when I give with my right hand, my left hand's in my pocket and doesn't know what's going on? I mean, how do we actually achieve... That sort of goal. A few years ago, um, when I was in the city church, uh, we had a, yeah, like most churches, we had a budget deficit, it seems to be, that uh, uh, a pattern for churches quite often. And I sat down and worked out that there are about 400 households that were attending in the city, counted themselves regulars. And then worked out what Sue and I were giving as a household. And I thought if we got 60 people, 60 households to give what Sue and I were giving, we'd clear the budget. And there were two things that happened. I started feeling really grumpy um, because I thought if the pastor's giving up, why well, there's other people giving up, you know. And that was one side. And the, the other side was I thought, we're actually doing pretty well here, you know. I think at that point... My right hand knew what my left hand was doing. 
Do you understand the whole question of what motivates you in those sort of situations? Verse 6. Go into your room and close the door and pray to your father in secret. Literally, it's to go into your storage cupboard or your wardrobe and to pray. But again, I wonder how practical this is. So just in, just imagine the situation with me. I decide to put this into practice tomorrow morning, okay? I wake up and I decide to have a prayer, prayer time and Sue can't find me, okay? And she says, Paul, my darling husband, where are you, you know? And I say, I'm in the wardrobe, dear. <laughs> and she says, darling husband, why are you in the wardrobe? I'm praying in secret. Yeah, the, it, it's out, isn't it? You know, like the secret is, is not sort of any more secretive at that point. What I'm saying is secrecy is not straightforward. And in fact, I don't think that's the point that's being made. Now, let, let me tell you why. Because later on in the service, someone is going to lead us in prayer. <laughs> Someone's going to come out the front. That doesn't seem very secret to me. We all know that they are doing it. Secrecy is obviously not the issue. What is on view is making sure that you are careful about your motivation for why you're doing things and particularly keeping in mind that it's what God thinks that counts. That is, you should be living to delight your heavenly Father. Now, just before I go on to what I think is the big puzzle in this passage, uh, the big puzzle, I want to talk for a moment about the nature of rewards. We've already seen that if you, you want the approval of others and you get it, that's it. Right? You've got your reward, you're done. But if your aim is to honour God, did you notice that there's a reward promised? Verse 4, your father in heaven who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Or verse 6, your father in heaven who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Or verse 18, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, I take it we're along for the reward of our heavenly father. That's a good thing. But I find myself feeling a bit uncomfortable with that. Like I feel like I'm being a bit mercenary and sort of wanting a reward from God's hand and being motivated about what I do in order to do that. So let me ask this question. What is the reward that's being spoken of here? In fact, I think as you go through this passage, there's a present reward and a future reward. But I just want to focus on the future nature of this reward and think about it with you, the heavenly reward. How does that work? So is it like, um, you know, when you've got the Olympics and the marathon's being run and there are 80,000 people in the stadium waiting for the marathon runners to come through the tunnel? And if you've ever seen that scene, <laughs> you know that when the, the first runner comes through the tunnel, the whole stadium just erupts. Everyone stands on their feet and just cheers and roars when the first... And the guy who's been running for 42 kilometres suddenly gets wings, you know you know, because he's uh, suddenly on show before every... Is, is it going to be like that when we get to heaven? You know, where we've, we've done things conscious of God here 
but it's all going to be exposed for everyone to see in the heavenly scene. So you like that marathon running. You come through the tunnel, and there is all heaven, you know, the, gathered around in the stadium, and you're running a lap of honour. And you say, yes, yes, I gave money secretly. You know, I fasted in secret, you know. I did all these things, but you know, right? And then all of that stadium will erupt and go, well done, O doer of secret righteousness. You know, I'm thinking maybe not, that that's not going to be what happens. So what, what is the reward that is on view here? The reward for living the righteous life, for godly living. Isn't it just the joy of the approval of your heavenly father? Isn't it to know what it is to be blessed? When you go back to the first part of Matthew chapter 5, to know his grace and his mercy. Friends, there there is no reward greater than God himself. No reward greater than that. So as I conclude, let me, let me just come to what I think is the puzzle in the passage. And it's in verses 9 to 15. You'll notice what I've done is completely left out the Lord's Prayer, which seems, you know, you'd think I'd probably include that, you know, because uh, it seems so central. But, but the reason I think it's puzzling is because it almost seems like a digression for from the main idea in the section so the main idea we know is about hypocrisy uh, making sure you act with right motives before god so how does this extended prayer thing fit it sort of feels like a thought bubble on the side in terms of the flow of the passage now let me say it's a, it's a useful thought bubble uh it, you're probably pleased i'm saying that but uh you know, it's clearly a helpful corrective to superstitious babbling of, you know, pagans when they call upon God. We're not going to be heard by God for our, our volume or the amount of words we use or the passion with which we pray. Now, I say that because often Christians are quite superstitious about prayer. They're almost um, formulaic and pagan, you know, ex plus Y equals Z. X is the number of Christians we get together to pray, plus Y, the length of time we pray. If you get those two things right, then Z, God will answer your prayers. Uh, Probably none of it, you know, who here has not had that thought from time to time? But what we've been told is that's a completely pagan way to think about it. You cannot manipulate your heavenly father. He's not some distant deity that you pile up the you know the prayer rocks to impress him with is a heavenly father who loves you and wants to hear you right don't be superstitious but i want to suggest though that this section on prayer actually is primarily to do with hypocrisy and let me try and explain why i think it it provides both an antidote to hypocrisy and also a test diagnostic test for working out if you're a hypocrite so let me just briefly tell you why I think that's the case. The antidote to hypocrisy, we've already seen that as you go through this this section of the the Bible, we're to call upon God uh, and he is to be the focus and the motivation for why we do righteousness. 
Now, notice how that is reinforced by this framework of prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So here is the Father that you want to be honoured. He is the focus of all eternity and your life, not you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. See, again, this prayer just acknowledges that God is the centre point of all things and all existence and his glory and his honour and his name of what count. Now, if you pray that way, it is very hard to see yourself at the centre of all things. It's a wonderful corrective. Give us today our daily bread. We depend upon this sovereign heavenly Father who is good and who is generous. It is, it is a rich, God-centred view of life and this world. But I want to also suggest that this provides a diagnostic test for working out if hypocrisy is a problem. From verses 12 to 15, there's extended instruction on forgiveness. What's forgiveness got to do with hypocrisy? Let me just read the verses and have a think about that question with me. Verses 12 on. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Are you doing righteousness from the heart? Are you the genuine article? Or are you a hypocrite? Well, here's the diagnostic test. How are you going forgiving other people? How's that working for you? And you might think, oh, no, I'm pretty good at that. So let me just ratchet up the stakes a bit more. Go back to the end of chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. You've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I want to say to you, I'm, I think I'm naturally pretty good, actually, at forgiving and loving my friends and praying for the persecuted and caring for my family. But it is divine to pray for and forgive those who are my enemies. That is challenging. But it's essential, isn't it? Because if you don't forgive your enemies, when God has forgiven you, his enemy, isn't that the height of hypocrisy? I mean, isn't it extraordinarily hypocritical? To say, God in his kindness has forgiven me a rebel who has treated him so hopelessly and he has done it for no good reason except his generosity. And then to have people who have sinned against you and withhold the forgiveness that you say you understand from them. 
nothing could be more hypocritical than that. So let me, um, let me finish really on that note by asking you these questions. Who would you regard as being your enemy? Who do you find it hard to love? Is there someone that you feel demeaned by or who has wronged you? Who, when you you think of them, when you bring them to mind, when their face comes to you, Who do you find that when that happens, bitterness uh, fills your heart, resentment and bile just piles up in your stomach because of what's happened? Who do you find it hard to forgive? What I'm going to do is just give you a moment uh, just where you can actually call out to God in secret that he might help you actually apply the forgiveness that you understand in that relationship so you might live as a person of integrity before him. So take a moment to do that and then I'll, I'll wrap it together in prayer in just a moment. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've shown us extraordinary grace, mercy that's completely undeserved, and Father, we, uh, we thank you for those things. And Father, we pray that we'll appreciate them all the more, that our, our worldview will become more and more centred on seeking above all things your glory, your honour, your kingdom. And Father, we pray that when it comes to that very practical test of whether we've worked it out, that you'll help us to be people who forgive from the heart those who've wronged us, uh, that will treat our enemies with mercy and grace that we understand we've received from you. Uh, Father, we know that that is a, a life process thing. We know it's not an instantaneous thing. Uh, but Father, we pray that you'll preserve us uh, from hypocrisy, not just in this area, uh, but Father, uh, clearly this is such a powerful thing in terms of the way in which we run our lives. So, Father, graciously give us uh, the ability to understand the gospel of forgiveness as we work it out with one another and with the people we engage with. So, Father, be at work in us to shape us more and more like your people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a couple of questions today, so I'm going to ask Paul if he would make his way back up the front to help uh, answer those questions. Uh, they're on my phone, so I'm going to read them out to Paul. Our first question, Paul says, should we stop activities in which we have mixed motives? For example, uh, they need people on the church prayer roster and you're able to serve, but you worry about what others think of you when you pray or you like it when people compliment you afterwards. How, how would you answer that, Paul? Yeah. yeah, well, we could cancel church. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, the, the, the problem is who, who of us here has perfectly pure motives? That's one of the issues, okay. Uh, and I take it that the being self-aware and aware of those sort of issues, you keep asking God to keep sifting those, keep focused on God. 
However, there's a serious question here. That is, is there a time for stepping away from those sort of public responsibilities? And, and I think there is, especially when it's reinforcing uh, hypocrisy. Um, so, for example, if you're aware of a sin that you guard in your heart or in your life or behaviour that's totally inconsistent, and then you step into roles where you're pretending like that is not the case. You, you lead us in a prayer of repentance, but you yourself are not repentant. You're not turning away from sin. That is a highly risky activity, I think. And therefore, there are, there are times where it is appropriate, I think, not to do that. So it's, I don't think it's clean um, in terms of yes, no, uh, but I think it's the right self-searching question. Was that getting too preoccupied with yourself? <laughs> that is, um, you know, our Father who art in heaven is not... Our Father who art in heaven, I'm really worried about myself. You know, it does, that's not the second line. That is, the, one of the best antidotes, I think, is having that God-centred, uh, kingdom of God perspective, his rule, his reign, his purposes, his concerns, being mine. And you keep growing in that, I think, is probably the critical thing. Yep. Okay. I've got one more question. It says, the Sermon on the Mount talks about the criteria and characteristics of those belonging to his kingdom and contrasts true religion and false external religion characterised by self-righteousness. You mentioned that it's the intention behind giving prayer and fasting that counts. Can you elaborate on this and what should be our intention and how does it differ to the religious leaders of Jesus' day? Yeah, so I think the big contrast in uh, the passage we're looking at today is the difference between honouring God and being worried about what other people think about what you're doing so that that's the sharp uh, change in intention. Now it's really easy to get that confused and Christians apply it very differently. So I've constantly heard Christians say we must give in secret, we mustn't let each other know what we're giving, right? And yet we don't worry about praying, praying in public, do we? Like we always pray in public but we must give in secret, you know. Now what that tells you is uh, the problem we have if you don't apply it across the board in this section, one bit of it's wrong. Which bit might it be? See, I think, for example, when it comes to giving, we should be really public about it. Now, I'm not saying we should get everyone out the front to announce what they give, right? But what I'm saying is there should be a level of openness and accountability about it because actually secrecy at this point lends itself to hypocrisy, you know, to be pretending to be something we're not. Um, so the, the issue is, um, that's why I think the Lord's Prayer is so central, the issue is how you have that kingdom-centred concern that drives all that happens. And that kingdom concern is driven by a knowledge of the grace and mercy you've received at the hands of God and that call to live as his disciple uh, for his glory and honour for now and for all eternity. That drives everything about you and then it shapes all that you do and shapes your motives which flow from that. Yeah, it's a big question actually, uh, but it seems to me that that's the contrast, the concern with what other people think or what God thinks and honouring God or trying to gain the honour of other people. That's the, the sharp contrast. Again, it's on a spectrum. You know, who of us has got perfectly pure motives at this point? But it's clear the direction we should be heading in. Yep. Thank you.